0: After a few years of modest success on alternative radio, Fountains of Wayne cars-inspired Stacy's mom had one of those choruses that couldn't be avoided, which helped launch the band into the mainstream. While the 15 minutes of fame allowed for Adam Schlesinger to make a name for himself writing songs for Broadway, television, and movies, Fountains of Wayne never had another hit. This week, I'm joined by Dreams Not Memes host Brian Walker, to discuss the influence Stacy's mom had on pop rock and try to decide if the song brings the thunder, or if it's Not the song for me
1: All you need to make the money guaranteed. and you can live off royalties
0: so I think a lot of people out there would consider it sacrilegious that you called Fountains of Wayne a one hit wonder, but like I always stress on this podcast. Someone being a one-hit wonder is not necessarily a negative thing. It just means one of their songs got huge. And as I often say, I'd love to be a one-hit wonder. Hey, Brian, so why? what was it about Founds of Wayne that made you want to talk about Stacy's mom today?
2: You know, I'll be very honest. It had a lot to do with my relationship with my life because I've slept with some moms. You know, I know that sounds right. crazy. I kind of felt like I've met a lot of Stacy's moms in my life. Nice. And I just have been thinking a lot about that, and that song's been on my mind. That's that's the real only reason. So, <laughs> which gotcha. was deeper well, than that.
0: <laughs> no, I think I don't think there's anything wrong with sleeping with moms. <laughs> and what's funny about this was when I looked at the the story behind this, Adam Schlesinger. This this was written about his friend. Who had a crush actually on his grandmother <laughs> when when they were kids, which I thought was pretty funny. So it was actually Whoa. more more like Stacy's grandma uh, when you look back at what this song was about. And I think yeah. and I think right off the bat we have to talk about Adam Schlesinger, who tragically passed away earlier this year in March uh, of 2020 to complications from COVID. Which that was like the I don't know. I feel like that was a real not not as if everything about it isn't crazy and wasn't crazy even in March, but that was like a, whoa, this is out of control. I think that was like one of those milestone moments when I heard that it took him that I was like, wow, this is super serious. It was at that moment, you know, I've liked Fountains of Wayne, everything I've heard from them, but it was after he passed away and I I looked into everything that he did. I was like, wow, I didn't realize all that adam did do do you know his background at all i
2: am aware that he did a lot of music in general and i know that's probably terrible to say did a lot of music because what does that mean did a lot of music Mm -hmm. man i'm on a rough start today
0: (laughs) No, you're you're good man hey that's why hey i'm here to i'm in i'm here to inform you on on this kind of stuff
2: i'm aware of his impact beyond stacy's mom
0: Right, right off the bat, when you look him up, you see that he's a Emmy award winner because he's written so much music for television. What was crazy to me is I was a, I was slash am a big fan of the show Crazy Ex Girlfriend, which I don't know if you've ever seen that show. If you haven't, it's really funny. It stars stars and is written by uh, this female comedian Rachel Bloom, who. Everything in her mind as she sort of lusts after slash stalks her ex-boyfriend, everything kind of becomes a musical in her head. So every episode has like two or three original songs with basically with music videos uh, behind them. And so over the course of this show, there has been, I don't know, 150 or 200 songs. And Adam was a co-writer. Of, of those songs, so I watched this show for years not knowing that. That's insane. <laughs> when I saw that after he passed, I was like, damn. Not to mention the fact that dude wrote That Thing You Do. Wow. Pretty insane, and then when you look at his list of credits, it's like, you know, everything from uh, written stuff for Sesame Street to, you know, cr- yeah, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. He's produced music from The Monkees, Dashboard Confessional, Motion City Soundtrack, Verve Pipe, They Might Be Giants. He got a Tony nomination for Best Musical and Best Original Score for Cry Baby. Uh, he wrote a musical with Sarah Silverman based on her book, The Bedwetter. It's pretty wild, man. And even even when I talk about this podcast, we just uh, recently did an episode about this band. I don't know if you know them. They're called The Click Five. Yeah, I've heard <laughs> yeah. Of them. Yeah, they had this song, Just the Girl, that he he co-wrote. He co-wrote High School Never Ends with Bowling for Soup. It's also really funny that a lot of people think that this song is by Bowling for Soup because it does have a similar sound to them. And they just, so many people thought it was them that they actually started playing the song at their shows, which I thought was really funny.
2: Wow, I'm getting a history lesson here.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild, man. I, I did not know that. But uh, yeah, it's crazy how many... People and bands and shows can be tied back to Adam and Fountains of Wayne, which, you know, when I dug a little deeper, which is sad, my personal experience with Fountains of Wayne is very sadly that I dug into them a lot deeper. You know, I knew a few songs, but I dug in a lot deeper after Adam passed. It's kind of the same relationship that I had with Mac Miller. I knew. I knew a few Mac Miller songs here and there. I'm from Pittsburgh and he was a Pittsburgh guy, but I didn't really investigate his catalog too much until after he was gone. And then I was like, oh my God, he was absolutely amazing. And I didn't realize that while he was here. And that's kind of how I am with Adam as well.
2: Yeah. And Mac Miller, like I, I went to Penn State. I saw him at a fraternity house in like 2008 or 2009. And I just remember thinking like, yeah, this dude's pretty awesome. and he's like a really good performer and i sort of listened to him then uh a few friends of mine knew his brother so i saw his brother occasionally on campus and then i really really got into him around 2014-15 uh when when faces dropped right and what i think is so amazing about mac miller is he is one of the more prolific rappers on all sides. And most people don't realize that because you could say you listen to everything on Spotify and you still probably missed about nine records.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. He, he's amazing. Yeah, man. Def- definitely awesome. And definitely, you know, him. And when I dig into fountains away now, they're like a perfect pop rock band. Like the, every song is just Hook after hook, perfectly pristine production, and a, a lot of credit to Adam and you know his co-writer in the band Chris Collingwood, who uh, a lot of times was the the lead singer in the band. Adam was the bassist in the band, uh, but those two were a songwriting team. It's crazy how there's these prolific people gone too soon, man. And and Adam is definitely one of those 52 years old the dude did so much in his time here and it's pretty inspiring to uh see someone from music to television to broadway and and everything to to have such an uh, a huge reach is definitely very impressive man and uh but we're talking about Stacy's mom here this song it's undeniably catchy <laughs> you know i i before we got on here i watched the music video which What what a sketchy ass music video too. I mean, I guess it's based on Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That's kind of the idea I got out of it. (laughs) But it's definitely some uh, pervy little kid checking out his girlfriend's mom, and (laughs) it was definitely a a, a little bit of a weird video. Might not fly in 2020, but uh, definitely a catchy ass song. Yeah, and
2: that's actually something I wanted to like bring up about Stacy's mom as well as just like rock and roll in general. I feel like Stacy's mom is one of the few rock songs that. Musically, as well as lyrically, it still carries a purpose and meaning today. But a lot of rock songs of that time and before don't really carry the same meaning and, like, come off a little cringy. But the video itself really is, like, super cringy. And you're just thinking, like, you yeah, know, what is wrong or what was wrong with society? <laughs> but, like, <Yeah.
0: laughs>
2: that guitar solo still cuts. The lyrics are still relatively relatable in some people's relationships whether you're like in a poly relationship or whether you know you met someone in an open relationship or your friend's mom got divorced and things like that and like what i meant earlier about like moms is like i'm not dating anyone now because i mean covid right in my past in my 20s i felt like i had a lot of social instances where i was the dude that met stacy's mom which then nice. translate was I like also Scotty. Cause you know, Scotty doesn't know. Like I felt like those two songs were playing at the right. same time in my life, but <laughs> I, I just feel like it, it's such a metaphor for real life in a lot of weird ways.
0: Hey, I, I think at some point, whether it was a mom or whoever it was when, you know, when you're a teenager and you see an older woman, when a, you see a a woman, you yeah. know, if you're, if you're a boy, and and you hang out with girls and then you see, I, I don't know, that's, that's the, it makes me think back to those times, whether it was a hot teacher or, yeah, of course, somebody's, you're bound to have a, a buddy who had a pretty hot mom. <laughs> you yeah, know? or so, someone
2: related to them, something of that nature, you know? So, right, yeah.
0: right. Yeah. So, so I think that in one way or another, everyone can relate to this. In general, pretty silly song lyrically, but... I mean, you still somehow through the silliness and funniness, you still really feel the heart in the song, if that makes any sense. You still, you could, I, I don't know, if melodically, if you're feeling it, or it's just that feeling of, nostalgia and happiness that this like over the top pop song can make you feel i feel like this song can have the same effect that it did when it came out in 2003 yeah which it makes sense that's still sort of like maybe the post american pie era or Mm -hmm. something like some somewhere around there there was a lot of of this going on whether it was references to masturbation or just that whole era whether it was blink 182 i know that that's a that's a major thing i think of when i think of that time was that blink 182 sense of humor uh type stuff going on not that it's not still around but this seems to be the peak of i don't know Adam Sandler movies and American Pie and Blink-182, I think, <laughs> would be that that 1999 to 2003 era. And I think this fits right in. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing.
1: And Chris, uh, I'm jumping in real quick because you yeah. mentioned American Pie. And a fun fact that I think I only know because I bought the CD. One of the stars of American Pie, also the star of Rookie of the Year, Thomas Nichols, has a music career. And he put out a cover album recently called fret house or fret party. And it's just him covering all of the songs that appeared in the American pie movies. Nice. The only <laughs> song not in American pie that he covers is Stacy's mom and changes it to Stifler's mom throughout the entire song.
2: Wow. <laughs> yeah. I remember. Yep. 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 Yep.
0: Wow, that's and, pretty impressive.
2: <laughs> and not to mention like just from a strictly like structural perspective, I feel like songs like Stacey's Mom painted a pop punk standard where like if Berkeley started like pop punk standards for writing pop punk. Yeah. They would probably put Stacey's Mom in that like songbook because if you really think about the guitar solo that's happening and the fact that there's guitar harmonies happening or guitar harmonies, right. that's really explosive, especially for that time, because prior to that, the only people really doing guitar harmonies, correct me if I'm wrong, was the Almond Brothers, which is well, way before <laughs> that time, you know? So it's just like they brought that back to like say, like let's cut guitar solos into a mix, and then that's still a standard today.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, I think you're right about this being... Yeah, you you could study this song if you're talking about songwriting in the pop rock punk style yeah. of the especially of the early 2000s. Uh, yeah, this could be stud. This could easily be studied in class. It's got, it's really got it all. That verse chorus verse chorus bridge or guitar solo bridge key change everything. It's got it all. Yeah, for sure, that's a good point. You know, and I think that could be that that was kind of. Their thing, Adam's thing. I mean, when you look at that thing you do is another perfect example of, uh, it was just a dude that knew how to write hook after hook after hook in a song, knew how to write these perfect pop songs and just wrote hundreds of them. And I think that's how he was able to uh, extend into the world of writing for television and writing for Broadway and, and stuff like that. So I think that there's a lot more that goes into writing an easy pop or when I say easy I mean a basic pop song uh, a lot of people probably think that's easy to do yeah you're gonna you're gonna do the same one five six four chord progression and but it's it, it's not that easy <laughs> to do it and make it so I don't know digestible to people and to stick in people's brains there's an art to that you know you may maybe you're working within these you're working within these confines of, okay, we're going to have these certain guitar tones. We're going to use bass drums, two guitars, vocals, and we know what our constraints are. And we're going to use these chords that are used a million times in these songs and create something new and memorable. And I think that having you know Stacy's mom, that's I, I would be hard pressed to find people that don't know this song and remember this song and able to sing that chorus still today.
2: The thing that makes Stacy's mom. Perfect. Is every part stands alone. And as a writer, I know melody and harmony are extremely important and melodies are where the memories are brought and harmonies where the soul is like given. That's what I've always believed. Mm-hmm. but if you were to just play Stacy's Mom baseline you'll figure it out if you were to just play Stacy's Mom just the guitar you'll figure it out if you were to play the drums you'll still figure it out and like i think that's what differentiates really really good rock songs or just really really good songs period from okay songs and the thing that makes it great and terrible at the same time is there are still songs that aren't hits. We're not going to talk about that because this is one hit, Thunder, <laughs> but uh, that stand alone because the, the melody is just that catchy. And right. like what I love so much about Stacy's Mom is if you just hum the melody and the lyrics, like let's just say you don't know the words. I mean, you still know what song you're, you're, you're like singing. Yeah. And I think that really brought back fun – And, uh, pop punk and not, not to say that there was a lull, because at that time you could say that that was still in an era of like a golden era of pop punk and and pop rock. Uh, MTV was still playing music videos. Keep in mind. Like I, I literally remember starting my high school mornings, like watching sailor moon followed by MTV's Stacy's mom. And then I would go, go to school. Right. Like that's how my day started. And then food fighters came and then the pretender came and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's just like what's so great about that song in general is every single component is just like it sticks to you, and and it's simple but yet so complex at the same time.
0: Yeah, man, it, it, absolutely. It's it, he's a these guys are master song craftsmen, no it, doubt about it. Uh, and you're right; you could hum this melody, you could hum the mm 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 mm. mm. And people are going to know what it is. And the fact that, oh, so genius to, first of all, just have the amazing melodies. Yeah, this song's not going to fly without those melodies. But on top of that, the subject matter being just right up, the song being called Stacy's Mom. You almost know what this song's going to be about before you even hear a single lyric from it. And it just makes it that much more memorable. And some might argue cheesy, uh, yeah. but it, it, it was almost, it was necessary, you know? And it, what's funny too, is I don't think of fountains of Wayne as necessarily when you dig deeper into the catalog, they're not necessarily like a pop punk band. This song, yeah. this song for sure. This song is like, pop punk meets the cars quite literally considering <laughs> the very beginning of the song is a direct ripoff of the beginning of the cars. Just what I needed uh, to the point where Rika Kasich thought that it was a sample <laughs> of the car song. So, you know, the cars meet pop punk, but when you dig deeper into their catalog, they're they're pretty much straight up, just pop. You know, like I don't mm-hmm. even, it's not even so much punk, you know, it, it it's, it'd really be uh, really loosely using the term punk. I mean, it has some crunchy guitars here and there, but a lot of it is like, you know, more along the lines of a gin blossoms than a blink or some 41 or something. It, it, it is that line, you know, it's really walking that line to the point where I would just Say they're a pop band more, more than anything, you know, and a lot of times a lot of those pop bands end up having a one hit wonder type career. But, you know, I think that Fountains of Wayne were able to use the one hit to their advantage the way that I've seen bands like Wheatus be able to use that one hit and extend that and, and propel themselves into a career, however, 20 years later to still have a career. And uh, Fountains of Wayne definitely released, you know, several albums after Stacy's mom and were able to use that to propel themselves forward rather than just fade away, which I think is really cool.
2: It definitely is. And I mean, shout out to Wheatus as well, because like I still play shows where I see people cover Teenage Dirtbag. And right. A friend of mine got to open up for Wheatus and he told me, uh, shout out to Albright Jr., by the way. He was like, even though they're like a giant band that's done so much, they're still humble. And I think like when you look at bands like that, especially Fountains and Wayne and the people associated with it is like, there's some bands that make one hit wonders and that was the goal. And that was it. Right. And then there's other bands where they create something and it happens to have become a one hit. And then it just opens up all these other opportunities to try so many other things. Right. I didn't know that, like, you know, the members of Fallon Lane had done all of that, but I think they're an example of the latter versus the former. I think society always tries to paint this picture that, like, you know, we're all just trying to make a, a big hit, trying to make a big hit. And, like, some of us are. And if that's what you're trying to do, good luck, because that's going to be really hard to create something in your bedroom, basement, studio, and, like, be 100% confident that this is going to be the thing versus let me just keep on creating and get better at creating and then right. you know other opportunities open up as you continue to create whether that be art music writing podcasting etc cetera, et, cetera, et cetera. i think what, what's so great about stacy's mom is yeah people are going to remember that song till forever uh the same way that people remember songs from the 50s 60s and 70s but i think people that like dig deeper are going to be like wait these people live their lives as creators not just making
1: one hit hey this is aaron from no simple road i'm inviting you to come hang out with apple
0: mel and i as we talk with the musicians artists chefs authors and beyond from the world that turns us on we're reaching into the improvisational music scene the psychedelic culture the festival world and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from
2: Fit for a King in Off Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your
0: favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many
2: more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday out now through Sound Talent Media.
0: Right, that's a lot of what we try to do on this podcast is find out who were the ones that were in it to make that one hit and in it to make their quick buck on what was popular at the moment, whether it was a novelty song or just that there was a team of people behind it trying to just generate something for a record label. Or was it a band like Fountains of Wayne who were a band, a band's band, regardless, trying to write the best songs they could and they had their hit and they were able to springboard a career and financially be able to continue largely in part to having that hit as a feather in their cap, whether that was through uh, royalties or, you know, through being able to use that as a selling point for tours and shows or to get onto bigger tours or things like that. Yeah. and, And it's pretty obvious that Fountains of Wayne are the real deal, you know, whereas we've seen things on this podcast or talked about artists on this podcast where, yeah, It wasn't that it was, it it was, there was nothing real about it, you know? So another thing we always look at on here is what else was going on in music at the time that this song hit. So this song peaked and this is a modest peak. I mean, I would love to hit number 21 on the Billboard charts, but it's not like it was like a number one hit single, but Stacey's mom peaked at number 21 on November 15th of 2003. And at that time, when you look at what was going on, there's some good and some extremely bad. <laughs> so I definitely put this on the good side. Like The the really good going on right there at that time was Outkast Hey Ya was on the charts at that time. So hell yeah. And so was The Way You Move. So Outkast had two songs in the top 20 on Billboard at that time. So that's pretty awesome, man. Number one, Baby Boy by Beyonce at that time. Uh, but on the bad side of things, you had Headstrong by Trapped. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that song. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I remember that song too. So that's kind of what was going on. So the fact that Stacy's mom was up there, I don't know, it yet yeah, fits. It feels like there was some really feel-good music going on at that time. It, the Way You Move and Hey from OutKast, so feel good. Chingy Right There <laughs> was yeah, in there. Ludacris Stand Up was in there. Maybe it was a time where, people were feeling good in 2003. When I think back on 2003, I think maybe I was feeling good at that time. I I don't know. Also, when you look at like what were the best selling albums of that year, 50 Cent, Get Rich or Die Tryin', uh, Nora Jones, Come Away With Me, and Beyonce, Dangerously in Love. And the number one single of the entire year was In The Club by 50 Cent. People were partying. People were having a good time. Maybe you could look into music every year and say that, but especially at 2003, I think we were far enough past 9 11 where people uh, were starting to want to hear feel good music again (laughs) by that time.
2: Oh, indeed. I mean, 2003, like the first half was the end of my freshman year, the second half was the beginning of my sophomore year of high school. And I just remember during that time, like other than my internal, like, you know, adolescent depression and things like that. I just remember society just feeling like let's be together, let's have fun. 50 Cent came out and like a lot of people started liking hip hop again because keep in mind between 50 Cent before that was Eminem, but Eminem was kind of like writing. He wasn't really like he didn't drop the next album yet. So just a lot was changing, but on the surface everything seemed happy.
0: Yeah, when I think back on that time, I think that maybe <laughs> maybe me personally what what's different about 2003 me than now me is that i'll listen to anything now whether it's on the radio or whether it's something i discovered myself or a friend told me about or whatever i think in 2003 i might have been a little bit too cool for stacy's mom <laughs> i think what yeah, yeah. i think in 2003 i think i probably liked i, I mostly like. Saves a day in the get up kids and and jimmy world and 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 really, that's what I liked. and uh, when I look at some of these one hit wonders from that time, I may have missed out on their impact at that time. I didn't have the Fountains of Wayne album at that time, but now when I look back, I'm like, oh, this is really good. I probably would have liked this album had I had I got it and not been a little bit too cool for school at the time, you know? True.
2: And keep in mind this time was before so many technological mediums. And what I mean by that right. is like, hey, you yeah, was big before it got big again because of YouTube, you know? Right. Uh, YouTube didn't exist yet. People were still using AOL away messages. It was Hell right yeah. before MySpace. Right. And it's just like, I think in a lot of ways, The internet did not officially take its impact that it has today.
0: Yeah. Radio was still probably radio and MTV were the biggest things. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, man. I didn't think about that. When Stacy's mom came out, YouTube was still not a thing yet, which is, which is wild to think about. That's such a good point. Yeah. And that's really 2003, 2004. Now we're starting the internet's becoming a lot more important for promoting music. Uh, when I think back on my band and like how we were using the internet at different times, yeah, it was 2003 and 2004. It was starting to become really important, but yeah, it's like the tail end of like radio and MTV, you know, a TRL still ex- existed at this time. That mm-hmm. was still a way for music to get huge. And yeah, that's wild, man. I I didn't think about that. Now MTV, I guess if you, I don't even have cable anymore. I have Netflix and Hulu. Yeah, same. But when I go to a friend's house that does have it (laughs) and flip through the channels and I see what MTV is, it is literally just 24 hours a day of Teen Mom and that Rob Dyrdek ridiculousness show. (laughs) That is literally all that's on it. And I think there are other like mtv there's one channel that's always playing mtv videos from the 90s and if i don't have anything better to watch if i'm flipping through i'll leave that on for a while uh but uh yeah it's wild how the music video in our faces on television isn't really a thing anymore maybe on the internet on your facebook or on your twitter yeah but yeah that was such an important well, yeah, thing
2: because because the the music dream on a music video level is i saw you on youtube i saw you on tiktok and not I saw you because Carson Daly approved you like, you know, because I'm like 32, I just turned 32 and that's really weird. I said 32 once this podcast went to 32 (laughs) minutes. Spooky.
0: That's very
2: spooky. (laughs) Uh But yeah, because I'm 32, I can like dive back to a time where I was like, you know, I love Stacy's mom and hopefully like, I write a song like that, maybe not as cringy in nature, but you know, that's as impactful, right? Right. You know, I'm watching Carson Daly. I hope I meet him someday. Flash forward to like actually playing music and performing and recording. The only way I'm going to see Carson Daly is if I just happen to be in the same bar as he is. That's if COVID allows us to go back to bars. Right. It's it's really crazy to think about and how short our lives have been, how we can refer to years as eras because it's like oh what type of music are we talking about pre Snapchat era of music and that actually makes uh, sense
0: yeah for sure
2: we're in a TikTok era right now and and it's 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 weird but it is what it is
0: hey you know what i think about a lot when it comes to the you look at the bright side and you look at the dark side of I don't know, the music industry, I guess. I, I I hate saying the words the music industry, but my point being that what was cool about the 2000s, what do you call those, the aughts, and pre, and before that is that you could make money from your actual music, from selling compact discs and now yeah you can make some money from selling some vinyl to collectors or whatever but uh, a huge revenue stream was selling actual cds in record stores and that doesn't really exist anymore but probably the negative part of that is you had to get someone's approval whether it was getting signed to a record label or someone decided they're going to play you on the radio or play you on mtv somewhere along the line someone with the power to do that was gonna have to unless you just made something so undeniable and you tore your ass off but a lot of times someone had to make that decision but now the bad part is yeah you're going to make a little bit of money from streams, but unless you're getting a billion streams or something, you're not going to count on that as a way to make a living the way you might have been able to count on selling albums uh, in record stores as a way. But the good thing I think is now, whether it's YouTube, whether it's, I don't know, TikTok, Facebook, I don't care where you you post it and it catches on. If you're creative enough and you make something Whether it's a song or a video that goes along with that song, you make something that's so undeniable, it can catch on with zero dollars of promotion. If you can use your brain and create something that is just so undeniably good, you have that opportunity that may have not existed in the nineties. <laughs> you know, you may have needed a little help, whether that was from television executives or from a record label or things like that. But now if you put something out there, that's just so great. And the, the thing that pops into my mind, and I'm not saying, I mean, I think the songs are, are pretty good, but the thing that I think of that was the first notable thing was the okay. Go videos, the dancing, okay, go videos. One was on treadmills. One was just, I think the first one was just dance, just a dance number in general. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but those caught on and it was like, wow, these guys just made this cool one shot thing that cost them nothing to make it. They just set up a camera and did it in one shot and it was undeniable. People loved it. I think that that's a very good thing to always be thinking about is how can I use my creativity to make people hear my music?
2: True. And correct me if I'm wrong, it was either one year or two years before the OK Go blew up. I think that was around the same time that Radiohead dropped in Rainbows. And they said that they were going to offer their record for free and you could just email them and get the record. And I remember so many people thinking, what? You're Radiohead. How are you releasing your record for free? And in my mind, I think that is what inspired like things like Bandcamp, things like, you know, I'm going to drop all my B-sides on YouTube, and you can f- find my real records on like Spotify, or diversifying the ways that you display a- and show your content, because I'd love to ask the question, if Stacey's mom was a band day, what would their music video look like? Because yeah. I'm pretty sure it still would have been a hit, but... I'm pretty sure the music video would have looked way different because then they have a celebrity as the mom anyways.
0: Yeah. It's like a model. I think Rachel Hunter is her yeah. name. Hey, but, yeah. but that's a good point about Radiohead, man. They just, as with their, their music, they've always been ahead of the curve, but they also saw the writing on the wall because at the, at the, I don't know what year in rainbows came out, but if they saw the writing on the wall that people aren't going to pay for music anymore and that your music is something In one way or another, you're going to put out there for free and you hope that people are in turn going to come to your concerts and they are going to buy your merchandise and maybe they're going to buy your album on vinyl or something collectible. But I think they probably saw the writing on the wall that, yeah, this is how it's going to be, you know, from from the time when people were using LimeWire and Napster and whatever else to download music for free to now when, yeah, you know, my band will get a few hundred bucks here and there from the combined streams of all our songs on everything, but no one's going to buy a CD anymore. <laughs> you, might, you know, so at some point artists had to accept the fact that your music is promotion I don't I hate to say it that way but a promotional item for your live shows <laughs> and to hope that people are going to if nothing else lend you their ear <laughs> and and pay attention and listen so that you could find a way to make a living and continue to make music that's always been the most important thing to me man is to make enough money from the music that you could afford to record more music.
2: (laughs) True. I've always believed it's about what is freedom and what is openness to you. And what I mean by that is, and I'm using freedom and openness kind of like loosely is I think at a time the goal was to be big and famous and meet Carson Daly and meet Lala ended up on all the, you know, clear channel TV channels and then go on tour. But I think because of so many things changing and so many new opportunities happening, the goal isn't so much fame, the goal is sustainability, at least for me. And what I mean by that is, of course, I want a name for myself. I want people to hear me. But I don't want to be heard if it means opening up a loan with DIY records, you know, insert label name here, and like I got all those things. But the record still didn't get heard enough to pay the ledger from the label and then you don't hear from me anymore despite getting the pitchfork review stereo gum review and all that stuff because you know i got a million plays not 15 million plays like that's such a gamble to play in this day and age versus i connected with people i had a community i'm able to write different songs i'm able to write scores for people I'm able to talk on podcasts and things like that. And I think that's what we have to learn from Thousands of Wayne. Now, granted, they made a lot more money then and still are because of royalties than you kind of can now. And I'm not saying it's impossible, but I just think there's a cost that comes with being textbook famous versus creating a community.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're <laughs> if you're getting into it with the hopes that. You're you're gonna become super famous or whatever. Yeah. That's that's a that's a recipe for failure. I think exactly if you get and in burnout. Yeah. It, but if you get into it with the attitude of I want to continually make anyone that would like my music hear it. And mm-hmm. then and then from there give those people that care enough to listen more music and find a way. Sustainability is a good word, a good way to sustain yourself and be able to continue making music. I think that that is what a true artist would be doing because I think the, the other, the wanting to be super famous or whatever is more like a something that little kids <laughs> think or something or <laughs> little kids or like delusional people. If you achieve super mainstream success that, then that's great that more power to you. you made something that is making a lot of people happy. And that that's great, but that is the very, that you're in the very minority, (laughs) if you, the very, very tiny minority of people that can do that. But if you make music from the heart and you are smart about how you get it out and make people hear it, then yeah, you can, you can sustain and have a career as long as you want to. There's no limit. (laughs) There's no limit on, there might be a limit on how long you can be a sexy pop star, (laughs) but there's, but there's not a limit on how long you could make great music you know true but anyway that's that's a good point bringing it back to fountains of wayne we always you know before we wrap it up here we always like to talk about whether the song brought the one hit thunder or it was a one hit blunder and i don't once again as the last couple of episodes i feel like I, I think we're in agreement that fountains of wayne brought the one hit thunder man oh totally yeah. I mean, this, this was no fluke. This was a band that pro that has from when I dug into their catalog, they have 20 songs that could have been huge songs, you know, whether, from, from the melodies to the lyrics. This one, it just had a very memorable subject matter, had a very, uh, you know, by today's standards, cringy, but memorable music video to go along with it at a time when music videos still mattered. Mm-hmm. and. It was more than just a Clever Music video. It was some genius songwriting behind it. So you mentioned this before. Would this song still be a hit if it came out today? And I I actually think it would be. And maybe the production would be slightly less early 2000s. It might not be as pop punk. It might be a little more just straight rock, but it's a great song regardless of when it came out. I
2: completely agree. And I mean, if anything, I think a lot of people would start making relationship memes out of the song.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. And before we go, I want to hear about your podcast a little bit, man. Usually I have Matt do the rap at the end, but your podcast sounds really interesting to me.
2: Yeah. So, um, my podcast is called dreams, not memes. And I created it because as a musician, uh, I sing about rising above my own adversity and, and that, that adversity is, is pretty deep. I'm going to try to, like, not give the TED Talk version of this, but it's like, for example, um, I was the product of a sexual abuse and I almost got aborted and both my parents are, like, physically and mentally disabled. And so I, like, almost wasn't supposed to be here. And then I started my project because I, like, stopped a domestic abuse case. So this is a separate incident. And I sing songs about the struggle of being alive from my perspective and try to inspire people to be better in their lives and to face against their own adversities uh, when I sing and play, play live. And I had been doing this for like five to seven years, seven years recording, five years touring. And I had this aha moment last year where I was like, you know, I'm not giving up my music, I still have a lot of records that I want to write and release. Um, and by no means am I like successful or famous as we talked about earlier, but I think I need to do more where I am creatively able to reach the same mission, but able to tell other people's stories. So it's like, I'm telling my own stories through my guitar and my other instruments, but I'm also telling other people's stories through a podcast where I talk to people. So Dreams Not Meme started as this podcast where I was like, gonna make it like, not as formal as some podcasts are. And I would just talk to people that had worked with me and I shared those people's stories. And then that expanded to people I met on tour. So I would talk to people that I met through couch surfing app, uh, or people that booked me shows and then COVID happened. And I've created this mission to talk to a thousand people from all 50 States and all 194 countries in the world about what makes them tick and what motivates them to achieve their dream and rise above the things that are struggling and bothering them. So um, today I posted episode Mm -hmm. 175, and I definitely have about 184 episodes in queue.
0: Damn!
2: Yeah, I'm almost done the US. I think I have like Nebraska and um, Wyoming to cover. I already have my Alaska and Hawaii scheduled pretty soon.
0: When did you start the podcast? Didn't you just start the podcast this year?
2: Last year. I started year. in July of last year and uh, I only had like four listeners a month. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So I was just right. like, yep, yeah, uh, this isn't going to last that long. Now I have something like 1,000 to like 1,200 listeners a month. So that's been pretty cool. Nice. So it's just like, it's been organic growth and I'm seeing people who have been on the podcast, listen to other people. Like today, I saw that a beauty therapist that I talked to from England started networking with a professional mom from DC. And now they're going to meet each other and talk about entrepreneurial pursuits. And I saw the conversation happen right on the Instagram. Nice. So it's been really cool. Cause I've been promoting on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and it's just like, people are discovering each other through this platform where everyone's being vulnerable and sharing things that they would like out of their own lives. So it's like I'm creating this community where everyone's rising above their adversity and lifting each other up. So it's been cool.
0: Well, that's awesome, man. Dreams, Not Memes. Yep. I got to check it out, man. That, I'm, I'm going to subscribe. I'm going to subscribe right right now. I'm, I'm actually clicking to it right now. But uh, yeah, man, thank you so much for coming on. This was a great conversation.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. You
1: don't know me and you don't know us. try to take my grandma off the bus. This has been One Hit Thunder. Underneath me, you're listening to Day Without Love, fronted by this week's guest, Brian Walker. Also check out his podcast, Dreams Without Memes. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafaios of the bands Punchline, Pack and Another Cheetah, and produced by Matthew Kelly of the Geekscape Network. Punchline has a music special that will be streaming on Amazon Prime on the 20th of November, so be sure to check it out. And let us know your thoughts on the podcast by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting apps. And tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. This
0: change the clothes we wear the people we hang out with
2: the way we remember things
0: it's them who give us those ludicrous moments the ones where you're
2: jumping around singing your heart out feeling understood
0: and it's those moments will help you remember the ones you're thinking about right now
2: that feeling
0: that feeling
2: It's coming soon from crowd network
0: just search for death of a rock star on your podcast
1: app and subscribe now